Hey everyone, welcome to the Cutting Edge Podcast, where culture meets crypto. Today, we have a contemporary visual artist who works across art, architecture, and performance. His work has been shown in museums and institutions worldwide, including the MoMA and the New Museum, among others. He has collaborated with the likes of Adidas, Dior, Pharrell Williams, and Pokemon. He has developed a reputation of delivering extremely successful releases and is here to discuss his latest, The Eroding and Reforming Collection. Please welcome back to the show, Daniel Arsham. Hey, Daniel, how are you doing? Great, and thank you so much for having me again. Pleasure to be back. Yeah, thanks for for taking the time on the show. You know, like I, I'm always amazed uh, on your Instagram because you're always you're you are just so prolific and like you get so much stuff done and like you're always doing really cool shit. So I must say, like I really admire that. Knowing uh, I'm probably just a fraction of a, of as busy as you are, uh, and your ability to kind of. Uh, I feel like it's a good work-life balance um, in the sense that you probably are able to mix both of them together. So I really respect that. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's taken me, um, sometimes I think when people see the content and everything that I'm making between the sculptures and the digital work and the architecture and all that, um, it feels like almost impossible, but it's taken me 20 years to get to the point where I can actually create all that stuff in the pace that I do. And I've really set up uh, an incredible team, you know, that assists me in all the different areas, some of whom you've met. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, having been to your, um, your studio in New York city, like it's, in, it's incredible, right? Like I was just like jaw dropping. And I, I remember like when I was walking around, I was like, Hey, like, what can, what can I take pictures of? Because I know a lot of this stuff is definitely like unreleased and, you know, I have to yeah. be careful of that. Right. So. It's like a mixture of like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and like maybe like Warhol's factory or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's it's great. It's experience. I definitely feel very privileged that I was able to kind of just go in and get like even a, a small peek behind the curtains. Mm, so. You. So, yeah. So thank you for taking the time. You know, last time uh, that you were on, we were here discussing Chip. So we didn't really have uh, that much uh, time to really touch upon your background and your artistic style. So I just wanted to kind of go into that for those in the audience who are, I mean, I assume most people are familiar with, but maybe there might be some, Uh, you know, just kind of like, how did your career begin and how did you evolve your artistic style and perspective over time? Yeah, I was always interested in art, architecture, photography. You know, I I took photos as a kid, studied a little bit of photography and had like a dark room in my garage. Um, And as I started to think about potential career paths, architecture was something that definitely stood out to me. It seemed to be something that was so magical and and one of the most uh, large scale and permanent kind of human expressions, right? We think about art history and architectural history, the things that kind of last the longest are our buildings and our, and our sculpture. Uh, so I studied architecture and design in high school. And w- when I decided to go to college, I applied to a number of schools. Uh, Cooper Union was my main focus uh, here in New York. And I was not accepted to the architecture school, but I was to the art school. So that sort of defined my path. And Cooper is an institution that allows students to focus 
not in one particular area, but really in the concept and the drive behind their work. So the medium is less important than the vision uh, and the execution behind that. It led me to experiment with painting and sculpture and filmmaking and printmaking, uh, all of these mediums that are somewhat present in my, my practice today, right? So it's been a, you know, it's been a journey. Uh, collaboration has been a big part of my universe from uh, the origins of my practice after school, working with uh, the choreographer Merce Cunningham, um, worked with Pharrell Williams on the score for an orchestral work. And then, you know, these collaborations that I've done with a lot of brands, which for me were a very acute way of bringing my work to larger audiences, right? We could say um, audiences that are looking at, I don't know, a Dior project or something with Uniqlo, which I've done. They're not necessarily art audiences. And I really wanted to be able to reach people who art may not be part of their everyday experience. Right. Were, were collaborations something that kind of just like kind of fell into your lap and started happening? Or was that something you were like when you were first starting out? It's like, hey, like I want to be collaborating with, you know, these sets of people in the future or that was a goal. Yeah, I've always been very deliberate about the way that I conducted my studio. And in some ways, I treated it very much like a job. You know, I would get to my studio at 9 a.m. every day. I would not leave until six and sometimes later um, I was there five days a week whether or not I had an exhibition or something to to do with that I sort of made that a focus and I think that allowed me to create enough works where uh, my pieces were out there in the world and mm. sometime around 2004 uh, the choreographer Merce Cunningham who was probably the most significant 20th century American dance choreographer reached out to me and asked if I would like to create a stage design for him. He worked in a very unique fashion in which his dances were not paired with music and were not linked with the scenic design. So he would create his choreography, a musician would make the score, and an artist would make the set design and all that, but none of them would know what the other one was doing. They would kind of collaborate, but independently. And mm. that was sort of my first introduction to to the idea of collaboration. He had worked with the titans of the 21st century, Andy Warhol and um, Robert Rauschenberg and Jasper Johns <clears throat> later in life with, you know, artists like Keith Haring. And that idea of working with another artist, allowing their thoughts and uh, inspirations behind their work to enter your sort of field of, of creative potential, uh, it was an expansive way of working, right? It allowed me to engage ideas that I might not have otherwise found. Uh, and so that first introduction introduced the idea and sort of opened up this possibility of like, oh, I could work with Pharrell. I could work with a company if I wanted to. Um, and, and sort of in some ways use the reach of those entities to find bigger audience, right? And bring work to people who, as I said before, are not traditional art audiences. Right. Yeah. And that makes that resonates a lot with me. And I think a lot with the NFT space in the sense that, you know, when I was approached by Adidas to do that collaboration, like I was like, yeah, of course, you know, like first, obviously vetting it to make sure that it was authentic to what I felt would represent the NFT space. 
but along those exact same lines, right? Is like they are a major brand that would do more for the NFT space than I could do on my own. And mm -hmm. so like I, I I very much feel a lot of similarities in that respect with with regards to, yeah, here's the power of being able to, um, you know, the way I felt is like the way to expose the world on a grander scale to this amazing technology, right? Mm -hmm. um, the same way that you were like, hey, like how can I expose people that don't necessarily uh, aren't huge art collectors or really into the art world and have them see like your pieces, right? And maybe have an introduction. And I, I think that that was like, you know, I think you're one of the artists of like the last decade, you know, two decades that has really kind of helped with regards to getting art more into like the commercial realm of like getting it in more hands and more eyes of more consumers, right? And I think that that's huge, right? Because that's just unlocking a lot of creativity within the people that are actually experiencing your art firsthand. Yeah, I mean, I am a true believer in this idea that art really should be for everyone, right? It doesn't need to only exist in galleries and museums or in places where you expect to see art, right? You should sort of find art in your everyday life, in your everyday experience. And sometimes we need to... Uh, we need to cause that to happen. It's not going to necessarily happen on its own. And, you mm -hmm. know, I think that there are certainly pioneers of that who were doing works like that dating back to the 60s with, with Warhol and, you know, yeah. his engagement with uh, with music, you know, Velvet Underground and his uh, his entrance into, I don't know, like the party scene and things like that down to, you know, Keith Haring who had a store that sold like products of his work on Lafayette street, you know, here in, in Manhattan. And those artists were pioneers of this idea that art should exist in everyday life. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, Warhol has one of those quotes too, you know, like I, I'm a finance major, right? Like I was always like a numbers guy. Uh, but this is something that there was a quote from Warhol. I'm, I'm going to butcher it right now. Where it was kind of like, business and like um, making money is like one of the the best forms of art out there because you have to be very creative right um, he called it he called it I, yeah. business art is the best kind yes. of art and he really <laughs> right. thought about the structure of his business and how he would reach people as a multi-tiered conglomerate you know it, it, his uh there's a documentary that has just come out recently i'm sure a bunch of people have seen it and the second episode is all about this idea of you know he had his painting studio he had interview magazine he had you know i think it was called like andy warhol enterprises or something like that it's this idea that like you know an artist could touch so many facets of society and could engage with so many different creative pursuits which were relatively like unaccepted during that period and to a large degree in the beginning of my career were also very frowned upon you know i think it's taken you know my work, um, people like Virgil Abloh, who definitely m managed to kind of push all of these different creative communities together and allow them to view the creation of a painting, a sculpture, a car, a sneaker, right? A piece of music all in the same fashion as like creative enterprise and creative pursuit. Yeah, no, that, that makes to total sense, right? I was actually, I was in LA a few weeks ago and I was, you know, we were walking around like a couple of different like boutiques in, in LA and the people I was walking around with, we were like, somebody made the comment of, 
this is like our modern day art gallery, right? Like you're not necessarily, or museum, right? Like you're not necessarily going uh, to a museum to like look at paintings or whatever, but like there is art in like the architecture, in the displays, in the, in the, in the quality of the work itself. Mm -hmm. So I, I do really like commend you and thank you for being one of those leaders that has really kind of like pushed like a lot of these worlds together and kind of you know, getting art to more than just like a small sub segment of the population. Mm, yeah, yeah. Appreciate that. It's been a, <laughs> it's been a long project, let's say. Yeah, no, I, I bet, you know, so I, I guess kind of like, you know, like leading into that, like how, how did you find the NFT space? Like how, you know, your exploration of new mediums and being cross-disciplinary, like how did you come into the space? Yeah, you know, I've always found new mediums for expression in my work um you know i've done painting and sculpture and you know worked in fashion and other areas and i it's always been important that when i'm entering a new space or a new medium that that medium can do things that i couldn't do other in other areas right a painting does different things than a sculpture can do versus a film and i became aware you know of cryptopunks um, of this idea of a digital certificate is really the way that I thought about it. Like a, the certificate of authenticity is something that we, that we use, you know, to, to, to denote provenance of a sculpture or, or an artwork. Um, and it was, I, I understood crypto, the idea of something that could be a unique asset. And so tying that to, um, to an artwork seemed like a logical step to me. In the beginning, I, I didn't quite see the utility in it, right? Like the, the um, certificate of authenticity has a utility because it's giving uh, ownership and uh, provenance and kind of security, right, to the owner of that artwork. So I was very much interested in the idea of, of an NFT as, as, a, as linked to something in the physical world. But it's really when I started to dive into smart contracts and what that capability could do, right, um, I met with the Winklevoss brothers sometime early 2019 before, you know, NFTs were on the cover of the New York times and my, <laughs> my dad was talking about them and they sort of pitched me on the, the idea of NFTs. We talked really a lot about CryptoPunks and sort of, that was sort of the leading, uh, project at that time. What really piqued my interest was something that one of them said about the smart contract and its capability to actually alter things over time. And because of so much of my work is involved with our perception of time, how we package it, both in terms of our everyday experience, but in, also in terms of how we think about different seasons and different eras of our life, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that notion of uh, the ability to allow things to change over time was such a magical idea to me, right? Like you could make a sculpture that could like disappear in 10 years or, you know, reappear in a hundred years. It could change shape and form. It could change material. It could erode and reform. You could add seasonality to it, you know? Uh, all of these sort of magical properties that were impossible in the physical world, right? And so the first works that I created with, uh, within that digital space using NFTs and um, smart contracts were works that did that. They, they basically decayed and reformed in the uh, same way that a tree, you know, dies in winter and is sort of uh, 
reborn in a way in spring, right? The, the blooms come out. Uh, I created works that operated on different timescales between a year, uh, a day, an, an Earth day, a Martian day, right? Which is this whole other kind of crazy possibility, right? Where things are falling in and out of sync with our understanding of time. And one work which I feel, you know, is a really special idea, which is 72.6 years long. And this is the average human lifespan currently on Earth. So this work will die at a certain point, I think in 2094, and it will basically be completely decayed and, and collapsed at that point. And the following day, it will be reborn new, and it will repeat that 72.6 year cycle forever, right? Mm -hmm. This idea is such a, an advancement on, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of art technology, right? If you think mm -hmm. about, um, you know, dating back, you know, tens of thousands of years, we could carve sculpture out of stone or out of wood. We could leave our mark on, on a wall. Um, painting technology, the, the, the advent of paper, the, uh, the invention of perspective, right? The invention of photography and film, um, the advent of a digital certificate and the ability to employ uh, smart contracts to alter things over time. I don't even think we really totally understand the whole possibility yet. It's so nascent. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just super excited about all the things that can be done with it. Right. No, that's awesome. And I, I love the fact that you're playing around with like these different times. I remember the first time we spoke, you know, we were talking about your first release and it was, uh, it was over the course of a year, right? It was, um, the, it was like the going through the seasons over the course of a year. And I was like, oh man, that's really cool. And I remember I was going to run home and buy one. And then like, I like, things like God and life gets in the way. And then I was like, I looked at it again. I'm like, fuck, I'm like, this is so much more expensive than I really wanted it. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, and it's beautiful. Right. And like, it's, it's beautiful artwork. And so it's not just playing with the concept. Cause it's one thing I think to have the concept, but then another one to like execute on it, like so thoughtfully and, and, uh, beautifully. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the other amazing thing I think for me, which I haven't quite uh, deployed yet, um, which mm -hmm. I'm going to with the final release of the next four, is the idea of, of really building and rewarding community for being part of this narrative and the story that I'm building. So from the beginning, I said, I'm going to create this series of 10, right? It's going to be mm -hmm. a suite of 10 works. And the edition sizes are going to vary. But by the 10th one, there's only going to be 50. And whoever can gain all 10 in their wallet, I'm going to airdrop an 11th right mm -hmm. and so this also we have collectors in in the traditional art world who you know through their connections and things get access to you know certain works or they may be invited to certain events and things like that the 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 blockchain allows us to deploy smart contracts in a way that all of those things can be automatic right i don't have to go in and look at everyone's wallets obviously right. once they have them in their wallet when i take the snapshot it'll just be airdropped into their account and this allows me to build community so one of the things that i've been really sort of trying to understand and build um you know is is a uh, a community that i can reward right for participating in this whole mm -hmm. universe so we're gonna um, we're gonna deploy a, a Discord server at some point in the very near future. 
Um, I've just been working out all of the complexities around how those mm-hmm. systems are going to work and making sure that there's no, um, you know, funny business in there. Um, right. But I think it's going to be a really beautiful way to, for me to connect my digital work, my physical work, my real world events, um, and, you know, access to certain things for people who really want to be part of it. It's the same way that I want to be part of, you know, these other communities. Right. Yeah. And, and that makes total sense. And I want to get go down um, the project a little more in a second, but I think you bring up an interesting comment with the Discord, right? Like, I, I myself don't have a Discord at the moment either. Uh, and it's very, it's very interesting, right? Because I think as you build the community out, like you want, you know, as the creator, you want to have a place where people can come and just geek out over a common topic, right? Whether it's your art or your, you know, collectors that are collecting and, you know, and all those things. Because like on Twitter, uh, I'm sure you feel the same thing sometimes too, where it's like you don't want to necessarily spam or even Instagram, right? You don't want to spam everybody that doesn't necessarily care about like every single update that comes up. Um, But you want to have a place where your most dedicated followers can come and really congregate, right? Is is that part of the reason why, you know, because you, you've been in the game for a minute, right? In the NFT game uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times artists will come in and start a discord like almost immediately and you've been deliberate and you've taken a long time. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your thought process there. I just want to make sure that I can actually like create a structure within it that just benefits my community, right? And it's not right. like distracting. It's not too much. You know, certainly there's discussion around my works on Twitter and in my Instagram page, um, but there's no way for me to like define communities within that. So people who mm-hmm. own works, um, I'm looking at ideas of giving access to physical works, right? Mm-hmm. To physical editions for yeah. people who own some of my NFTs, you know, early access so that I can mm-hmm. guarantee them. There was no way to do that before this i'd have to do it all manually right so i think there's a big benefit in the server there i can also you know there's certain people who a lot of them have become friends that are very invested in the longer term story that i'm building Mm -hmm. with all of this and allowing some of them to actually have agency and moderate and curate some of the other assets that are coming in there it could be Mm -hmm. Uh, other artists that I'm interested in, things that are not related to my artwork directly, like fashion or cars or things like that, um, and really build. For me, the main purpose of it is to build community and be able to uh, allow them access and and really kind of reward them for for being so supportive. Yeah, and I want to commend you for for being so deliberate and and taking time to think about it because I think a lot of times. Uh, people will just be like, all right, like, let's get the discord, let's grow the community size. And like, you know, like, how do we like, you know, get everybody together. And I, I've, I, and I, I appreciate it. Cause I go through the same thoughts myself where it's like, I just, I don't want to create another channel that people have to follow unless there's a reason and I can provide value for that. Right. Like I don't right. value want for them really. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's like, to me, like, I don't want 50,000 people in a server just for the sake of having a server with 50,000 people. Like that's yeah. like not what I want, you know, it's like, so I, I very much commend that. Cause I think that that's sometimes like, a uh, I think it's an overlooked important step uh, of the process. So I think as an artist and a creator, that makes a lot of sense. Mm, yeah. So, 
So yeah, so I mean, you these let's I want to get into these final four releases, right? For eroding and reforming. So that means you you've released six already. Um, yes. Any? Can you give us? I guess a background on the collection as a whole, which you already have with you know playing over time, uh, and then kind of what how these ones will continue into that play um, over you know as you finish out the collection. Right. So I think a lot of it has to do with the subject matter that people are familiar with in my work. So there are these Greek and Roman uh, busts, all of which I originally gained access to from the uh, Louvre Museum in Paris. And these are molds that are from history that I was able to capture and create using those molds, my works, right? The eroded versions of them in uh, crystal, volcanic ash, other materials that we associate with a kind of geological time frame. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first few were using these um, works from antiquity. Uh, the, the previous three that I released were all based around cars, right? So these are roading and reforming cars. Mm -hmm. The visual, you know, I was trying to update like the quality of the visual that I was able to provide. The first one or the first few were not entirely static, but they were generally from like a specific viewpoint. There was some movement in them. The, the lighting changed right throughout the day. Um, but I wanted to create something a little bit more dynamic. So the cars are actually driving through these landscapes. And it's a static uh, image, almost as if we have a camera that's moving with the cars as they're driving. And they erode and reform over the course of, of the length of certain races, right? Um, like a, a safari, uh, Paris Dakar, or there's you know there's a famous race in in um, in Italy, and so they're saying exactly what they are. That the time that they erode and reform on is based on the length of those races, typically. Okay, um, so those you didn't you didn't say which races they were. I never or said. I allowed okay. people. I allowed people to sort of. People should be able to figure out which ones they okay. were, which that could right, be cool. an interesting quiz um, <laughs> in the in the server, you know, to see. Right. Um, because that's the kind of stuff that I, you know, especially in music, there's all of these like, uh, you know, Kendrick is amazing at this and, and Pharrell and all these people who put all these like hidden things within their songs um, mm -hmm. that you can kind of realize and, and find later. Like Easter eggs, right? Yeah. The final four combine uh, these two sort of preoccupations of mine with these eroding and reforming cars, um, the Greek and Roman sculptures but situates them in landscapes that are very cinematic, I would say. And this took me a little bit longer to develop than I would have liked. You know, I, was, mm -hmm. I would have done this a couple months ago, but really dialing in um, the way that these look. So we've got a 1968 uh, eroding Mustang that's driving through a city, right, which I've, mm -hmm. I've entirely created. It's raining, right? So it's night, it's raining. We have the reflections off the ground. And th throughout the city are these massive scale sculptures, bigger than anything that I could ever really create in real life or in the physical mm -hmm. world. And as the car is moving through, it's also eroding over time and kind of falling apart, as are the sculptures. That's one of them we've got. So there's four different cars. There is a DeLorean, which is driving on the surface of Mars. There is mm -hmm. a BMW E30, which is driving on the surface of the moon. All of the quality of the light and the, the, the surfaces of those places and even like the gravity is affected by the way that we anticipate those things might be. Um, and I say cinematic because the, 
the way that we've structured the camera movements through them is it's like a film to me, right? It's like a, right. each one of these is a short film that's been created. Um, and the final one, which is really kind of my favorite, is a uh, 61 Ferrari GT California driving through a kind of jungle landscape um, with these massive um, white crystal sculptures in it. And it's, um, I don't know, something about the sound of the cars and the movement through them. It's a very, like, let's say satisfying visual. <laughs> right, right. No, that that's really cool. And I, I assume the the 11th piece, I assume you have it planned, but you just don't want to, you don't want to disclose it just yet? That's that would probably be a whole other conversation. I built it, it's done and okay. ready. So I'm trying to figure out the best way and the best moment to, you know, do that, that, um, screenshot of the, of the wallets. I think uh -huh. I'm going to allow a little bit of time for people who, you know, either miss the last drop, if they want to pick one up on secondary, you know, to build the, the grouping. And I, we've, one of the other amazing things about just this type of work in general is I know who my collectors are. I know how many pieces they've got in, and there's a, it's a very loyal kind of group. And it's often people who are also collecting physical work. Um, and I've done things to reward them. You know, people who owned the first one had access to the second ones at a different price point, you know, than, than, than everyone else. And so it, it's, it's allowing me to kind of reward people for, for being there from the beginning and supporting. Right. Yeah. And I think that, that's one of the things to your point, I think we're just scratching the surface on, right? Is like, you know, I'm sure you there somewhere there was a database of collectors that you have that own your physical pieces, but yeah. you don't know if they resell it. You don't know, you know, where it's held. You don't know, you, you don't know a lot of things. There's a lot of what ifs that you don't know that like blockchain really kind of uh, changes that for people, right? And for you as the creator where you're like, oh, you know, this person is an avid collector. Not only did they, you know, buy it on the primary, but they bought a couple more on the secondary. Like this person is obviously uh, very passionate about my art. Like, you know, let, how can I reward this person for being, for believing in me so much, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it's also a much more transparent as a collector, right? Right. Um, way of looking at work. So I've been fortunate that the secondary market value of the works has like exploded astronomically, right? It's, and it's not, it's the type of project where there's more unique things. It's not a, it's not a PFP project. So they're, yeah. they're kind of individual works. Um, and you know, the floor for some of them is 15, 20 times the original, uh, you know, the original price. And I think that for people who, who see that, and see the value of it actually kind of going up over time, it kind of incentivizes them to really not sell these works and, and build this larger collection, which is really, you know, as an artist, you want people to um, sort of live with these things and grow with them and, and frankly, like watch them and understand them change over time. Right. Yeah. And I, I think the, to your, to your earlier point of like creating art that everyone can experience, like the beautiful thing about blockchain is that, and, and I know people get say this all the time about traditional art is like sometimes a beautiful masterpiece is bought and then put in a vault, like never to be seen again. Right. And like right. when you're creating something digitally, the entire world can see it, but that doesn't necessarily mean everybody in the world can own it. Right. And there's only a select few that can own it, but it can be seen like Very I can true. just go to OpenSea and I can take a look at it. Right. Which 
I think really fits yeah. well into your your ethos of, of you know why the collaborations and why you want to be working uh, with a lot of cool and interesting people exploring your craft. Yeah, this is very yeah. true. Yeah, so you know, I I think it's it's super cool. Thank you for for sharing that with us. Um, I think it's super cool how you have incorporated all your interests and passions, you know, into not just like everything that you do, but like especially within your NFTs, right? You know, the architecture, the cars, the sculpture, and like the pop culture. Um, can you describe how you find the balance in meshing these features to create elegant and intriguing pieces? I think, you know, I get asked this question a lot when I'm doing talks, especially, you know, when I'm t uh, speaking with students mm -hmm. to understand f their perspective is, you know, how do you feel comfortable really like mixing all of these things together? And I think that especially as a young artist, there's a feeling sometimes like there's certain work that you should be making or there's certain work that you shouldn't be making. Uh, my feeling was always, I'm going to make the work that I want to see exist in the world that I almost need to see exist in the world. And I, over time I've become more and more confident that if I feel a certain way about it, that there will be like a group of people who similarly enjoy that. Right. And I think it also allows me to be totally, I don't know, it makes the work kind of honest in a certain respect. You know, I'm not hiding work away. I'm sort of expressing like anything that I feel sometimes there's things that I make and they don't turn out right. And I, they never see the light of day. Uh, often those types of works are things that sit around the studio for a couple of years and I'm looking at them and I'm like, Oh, there's something in that still. And eventually on occasion, I find another use for that or another way of making it. Right. Mm -hmm. But the, the desire to operate in all of these different communities the car community, the fashion community, the, uh, the, the art world, the music world, the, the architecture, um, you know, universe, design and furniture. Uh, it takes a little bit of a thick skin also to, to accept the, uh, the criticism against that. Um, but I just believe that that's where I want to be. And I, I feel the most passionate mm -hmm. about that. I, I have the most fun when I'm doing that. And it feels very like, uh, truthful to me in that way. Right. Yeah. And I, thank you for sharing that. I, I guess selfishly, how do you deal with the criticism? And I, I'm just asking this for my own, for my own personal, uh, um, learning. It's so, yeah. It's so interesting. I had a, uh, a friend here who's, you know, he's probably 15 years younger than me yesterday. Who's mm -hmm. a, an artist, um, lives in London. And we're talking about just as a creator, rejection is just part of the game and mm -hmm. i told him i was like i've been collecting rejection letters and just general rejection for 20 years um, <laughs> it's almost like a you know like a sign of pride to be rejected by um, this many people and i think part of the part of that is just a confidence of like knowing that the work i i can stand behind anything that i've made i can speak in depth about it i've thought so much about it it's mm -hmm. developed over a very long period of time, right? So even my entrance into the NFT space, I probably could have entered a year before I did, but I really made sure that the work was fitting into my larger body of work, 
that I felt super confident about it, that I could speak in about every aspect of it, and that I really understood this community, the the utility in this, and that I was bringing something that I felt was important, right? And I I believe that as a young artist, or as really as any type of creator, there is inherently going to be detractors and call them haters or whatever you want and you just have to like accept that and sort of be Mm -hmm. okay with it and you know i think it's just part of the way there's not really uh it's the same way when we look at art or when we look at anything else in the world we don't like everything right 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 so i sort of give um give those people you know a pass if they're not if they're not into it or they disagree with it that's fine with me Right. No, that, that makes total sense. Um, yeah, that, that's something that I've been like, uh, grappling with, right. Is like, I think as, (laughs) as, as more people find out, you know, and, and see your body of work, obviously it's not for everybody. Not everything is meant for everybody and you have to be okay with that. That's just the law of large numbers. So, uh, I appreciate that. Um, what, one thing I kind of want to talk about a little bit is, you know, uh, let's say like you're, the way of distribution of the NFTs. I know your first drop was on Nifty. Uh, have you, not all your drops have been on Nifty, right? They have, um, yeah. And okay. so part of it was, you know, who, who knows where I'll be releasing them later. Obviously, Chip right. uh, has the functionality now where I could be releasing these directly through my own website if I wanted mm-hmm. to. Um, but I felt like I had, you know, Nifty Gateway is a sort of contained, eco- you know, infrastructure and ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And because I had said that I was going to do the 10, I sort of felt like I may as well do them all there. Once okay. I've completed that, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, the next four will be dropped on April 30th um, on Nifty Gateway. Okay, cool. What uh, Do you have a, a release time yet? Or I think it's 7 p.m. Um, it's like okay. a Saturday. That's the, typically the time that they do it. Okay, yeah. cool. And, and so I guess uh, a question I have is, you know, as you know, I, I, I feel like just like everybody, people go down the path where it's like, okay, like, you know, let me release the NFT. This is the platform I want to do it on. And then kind of realizing, okay, what does this mean for provenance? Right. And what does this mean for me as an artist and my body of work? What pieces of advice would you have for creators that are coming into the space and, you know, thinking about making their first NFT or, or diving in of what are things that you think that, you like piece of advice that you wish you had at the time that you entered into the space? I mean, one of the things, you know, going back to chip again, it allows me to mint these directly from my wallet. So even, even though it's going through nifty gateway, it's not this Mm -hmm. omnibus wallet, right? It's coming directly from my wallet, which can be traced back. So people know where it came from. There's, I think there's a major authenticity issue within NFTs generally and it's rampant on certain platforms, which I won't name, but we can guess which ones they are. Um, that's a huge problem for creators. And I, I do think that the community should be much more aggressive about calling those people out who are, who are issuing fakes, reporting them. And it's like people who are doing these rug pulls. It's like those guys are ruining it for everyone else. And they should literally be like carpet bombed with, you know, uh, whatever is going to prevent them from doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. So the the chip platform allows me to mint directly from my wallet. People can trace the authenticity back. And it, it also allows me to capture royalties 
wherever the work is sold, you know, later, yeah. which was a, was an early issue, right? Where people could move things around and avoid the royalty. The royalty idea is one of the most magical things also for creators and is something that has been discussed, I mean, I don't know, probably since like the Renaissance, the idea that an artist creates a work, that work accrues value over time, but the artist doesn't necessarily share in that increase in value. And I think it's a very fair and equitable system now where the the rise in value of those works is shared with the creator. Um, right. So that's another uh, part of it. And then I think just generally, you know, the idea of issuing an NFT is very different from the way that I started my own career. It's almost difficult for me to imagine beginning in this phase mm -hmm. uh, because I think that a lot of younger creators are entering it way too quickly. They're not finalizing a body of work or, or a complete idea before issuing one. And the problem that exists also, for better or for worse, is once you put something out there you know, on the blockchain, it's going to be there forever. Mm -hmm. And as an artist, you need to own that. You need to believe in that, right? Some of the early pieces that I made in my own career that were never shown, if I didn't care for them or I thought that they were not the right direction, maybe they got destroyed or I painted over a painting. Um, I would say that my advice in general for a lot of younger creators is be really deliberate about the works that you're putting out into the world. Make sure that they actually are the things that you imagine seeing and being relevant in 20 years. Now, you can't exactly know what you're going to be doing, but at least if you were honest about those original works and you believe that you put the right focus and intention behind them, and frankly, that they weren't just there to ride some kind of wave or be part of like a financial you know, windfall, that's mm -hmm. really not the point of it, right? It, it still right. needs to be an artwork that functions out there in the world forever. Right. Yeah. And I think I, I'm hoping we're getting past that stage because I think last year was really the people, a lot of people are like, oh, NFTs are a fad. How do I take advantage of this before the hype dies out? And yeah. I'm hoping that now as people realize, oh, the NFTs are here to stay long term. Okay. Let me take a thoughtful approach. You know, whether I, I choose to release a piece tomorrow or a piece six months from now or six years from now, it'll still be there, right? As long as the piece is of quality, right? And hopefully we're getting past that stage. You know, how long How long that will take, I don't know. But um, I, I'm hoping that the hype cycle kind of leads to maybe that dying down where people won't necessarily be rushing to be like, hey, I'm just going to mint a bunch of NFTs and, and try to make money and see what happens, right? Yeah. I mean, they're starting to get called out for it. <laughs> it yeah. Just like, yeah, no. I... <laughs> I it's a big, it's a major problem. And I also think the volume of stuff, you know, people, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, there's so many collections that are basically going to zero. And the actual fact is, I don't know what the statistic is, but like 90% of or, or higher of the NFTs that have ever been created have never been sold. They're just, they're just sitting there on a platform waiting to be sold and they're, they are worth nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but when, as, a, as a buyer and as a, a consumer of that type of work, I think it's important to like really think about, is this going to be important in a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, right? Is mm. the value of it um, based on something that's larger than what people think of it in just this moment of time? 
and can you link right. it with a larger trajectory of of art history you know mm-hmm. which i think is um you know there's certain projects that do that for me and others that that really just don't right no it it's it's uh it feels good to hear you say the same thing because i very much think of art in the same way as well right like when i first bought my crypto punk my thought process was you know 50 years from now even if nfts are a flash in the pan to me crypto punks will be significant right 50 years from now there could be a wing in the moma dedicated to uh crypto art or digital art and i think there's a high probability that a crypto punk would make it right and that yeah, I when agree i agree with that yeah yeah and and so when when i try to make my my decisions of you know not only like what art should i buy like because I'll admit, like I missed Bored Apes because I didn't really like the art, right? Like it just came down to something as simple as that. Uh, but when I look at it, besides just the aesthetic thing, the aesthetic side of it, it's really like, okay, where do I, how do I think this stands in, you know, against the test of time? Yeah, I would, I would hundred percent agree that that was one of the first discussions that I had, you know, um, with people around what an NFT was was around CryptoPunks and this idea that I saw them as fitting into this trajectory of art history, right? Mm. They, that was a project that was kind of revolutionary in the moment. Um, and it's gone in and out of these different phases. I think this new, uh, you know, acquisition of the, of the collection, um, by Yuga and, and allowing the, uh, the IP to be owned, right? by the by the user or the owner of the actual thing is another kind of revolutionary idea for art in general Mm -hmm. um what are you what are your thoughts on that what are your thoughts on that acquisition as an artist i think it i think there's two sort of buckets right if you have if you think about pfp projects and people using them as you do as your kind of avatar and sort of representing your character i do see the idea that it's like me, I, I own my likeness, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm doing a collaboration with somebody, there's the idea that I'm making the thing, but I also own like this. <laughs> and maybe you should also own, you know, your identity and the, the IP around your um, your image if you own a CryptoPunk. Certainly that was present with Board Apes before that, which I thought was also pretty incredible um, concept that a, that a creator would... Um, would make something and give away that IP because as, as an artist, I've made absolute sure from the beginning of my practice that I had a very tight hold on the IP. And whenever I'm doing projects, I never sell my IP. I never, it's always like a limited license to use it for specific purposes. So I think Mm -hmm. there's that right idea that I think it's good that that uh, concept exists for PFP projects for other things like the type of work that I do there's no utility in allowing that IP because the works are not unique, right? They're additions. Maybe there will, there will come a time where I will want to create a project that allows people to own parts of it or, or images of it. I'm still sort of wrapping my head around like, what is the next phase for me in, um, in the metaverse, in um, this type of, uh, of unique space. And I, there's so many things that I'm interested in, um, related with to architecture you know specifically this idea in because i work in architecture in the real world that in the metaverse doesn't need to obey laws of physics and um, (laughs) things can change and things can grow upside down and (laughs) there's all these 
architectural like possibilities. Um, so I'm starting to think about like, what could that be? You know, if I designed mm -hmm. a building in that space and what would it house all those questions? Right. So not, I mean, that would be incredible. I would, I would definitely love to go in and experience that. Right. As like right. just a consumer or somebody that's like, Hey, like, you know, I, I agree. Like I, it's, it's funny. Cause when I talk to architects, you know, I'm like, there's going to be a massive need for, you know, metaverse architects, right? Where yeah. you can take your skill set and you don't have to worry about, you know, construction materials and costs and lead times and all and gravity, right? So yeah. you can be <laughs> as creative as you want, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, I think that's super interesting. Um, I, I guess to, to kind of touch, I feel like people will definitely, at, will, will definitely be hitting me up if I don't ask, but like to kind of touch upon that, um, the statement you made about collecting pieces that you think hold up over the course of time, what are the projects or, or artists or collections that have really stood out to you over the last few months or that are you looking at currently that really, mm -hmm. that really strike a balance with you? Yeah. So I think, um, for me, probably the most, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. The most interesting in relation to our historical context is Pac. Um, I think there's a logic to it that resonates with me dating back to like minimalist sculpture. Um, it's sort of translating some of those conceptual ideas into this new framework, right? Um, you know, there's, there's younger artists where I don't quite know where the future of this will go, but I think the project is interesting, like Fuocious, um, you know, who, who just released this project last week. Um, what else am I looking at? Um, I mean, certainly I think, you know, Beeple's a very interesting creator, especially like a creator that's that's native to the, the digital space, which is not something mm -hmm. that, that I am, right? Um, being able to kind of uh, have a complete knowledge and like understanding of digital creation before, like I had to, in order to enter this space, figure out, you know, a partner actually who can help me realize this is who is a uh, six and five, which is a studio based in Spain who, you know, essentially takes all my drawings, all the uh, sketches and 3d models and everything. And I work with them to actually build out the visuals that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. um, their work is actually th that they do independently on their own is also super interesting. These narratives that uh, revolve around architecture. Um, but I think it's kind of just getting started. Uh, I think we're going to start to see a lot of new projects that mesh digital and physical, right? Right now we've only seen, uh, we've seen digitally native creators and we've seen sculptors and other artists who are making things for, you know, metaverse universes. When are we going to start to see metaverse and uh, digitally native properties that are actually coming back into the physical world. This is where mm -hmm. I think it gets super interesting. Right. Yeah, no, I still want to like touch things and, right. and, <laughs> and smell things and like be inside of things. Right. So how do we bring yeah. that, the properties that be, that benefit us through uh, digital means back into the real world or the physical world? Right. Yeah, no, I, you and me, we couldn't be more in tune uh, with that. And, I definitely have some things that I, I want to share with you uh, that I, I've been working on. I think you'll you'll very much appreciate it. Um, but yeah, you know, I I, I know we're running up uh, close to the top of the hour, so I, I kind of want to to wrap things up for a little bit. Sure. Um, 
who is someone that you would love to collaborate with in the future? Oof. Um, who would it be? I mean, I don't know that I've, you know, I individuals like artists, I haven't really worked with a lot of visual artists, right? Most mm-hmm. of my, actually, in some ways, most of my close friends and people that I bring into my circle are not people that who create uh, things in the same way. They're people in fashion, mm-hmm. people in music, architects. Um, so I don't know. I haven't thought about it in a little while. I'm working on so many right. ridiculous projects right now. I'm <laughs> um, working on some, some music things. Obviously, I just did this... Um, project with Gunna for his for his album cover mm-hmm. um thinking about where the future of that goes I don't know we'll see okay all right cool I I mean I know I'll be be paying close attention to that and then yes. uh one last question before I get you out of here what's your favorite nft my favorite individual nft I guess that um, you didn't make that you didn't create <laughs> that, yeah that, that I didn't that I didn't create I mean, honestly, I think, and I talked about Pac a little bit earlier, um, mm-hmm. but this project that he did that was about like accumulation and mass, I think there was mm-hmm. like, not only the artwork, but the way that he thought about the idea of accumulation and the, the change that could happen over that as those things exist on the back end, like how they get added to. And like, it was, it was a very well sort of executed concept, right? As an idea. Mm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And then my pleasure when, when people, uh, would people want to go to find out more about your projects? What, uh, what are the best ways for them to, to yeah, follow? I think the best way is to follow my Instagram account. Obviously you can mm-hmm. sign up for my newsletter on my website, um, which will, you know, send you an email about all drops, both digital and physical and, you know, book signings and other things like that. So yeah, best way. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. And everyone, thank you for tuning in to The Cutting Edge. We'll we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.